we don't create to impress, we create to impact. You know, I think about how this next week we're going to see this entire stage, this entire um, uh, setup here filled with hundreds of actors. You're going to have donkeys walking out. You're going to have animals walking out. You're going to see the story of Jesus, and it all centers around this empty space right here. Come on, we do Easter because Jesus rose from the grave. Christianity would not exist if there was not an empty tomb. It would have just, it would have stopped at the cross that he died a death. But I'm so thankful Jesus didn't stop at the cross, that he didn't stop inside the tomb, that he rose from the grave and he still rolls away the stones today over marriages that look dead, over prodigal sons and daughters that seem way too lost. God still brings the dead back to life. He still brings dead things out of the tomb. I want to talk to you today about the heart of God because I believe the heart of God centers around this empty tomb. Why Jesus came, what Jesus came to do. You know, in Luke 24, it tells the story of Mary searching for Jesus. She goes to the tomb and she's looking in there. She's trying to find him. She doesn't see him. The stone's been rolled away and she's going, where have they put my savior? Where, where have they put Jesus? Everybody say, where's Jesus? She was searching for her savior. And this angel is sitting on top of the tomb and the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for life in a dead place? And Mary's confused. She doesn't know what to do because she's, she's standing there outside the empty tomb and she's remembering all of her moments with Jesus, all of her experiences with Jesus, his love, his grace, his mercy. And all of a sudden, she sees this man who she thinks is the gardener. And he comes to her and begins to talk to her. And she says, do you know where they've put um, Jesus, my master, my savior? And she's talking to this gardener the whole time and doesn't even realize that the gardener is Jesus. Finally, he says, Mary, it's me. And she begins to weep. She says, my savior, my Lord. I think so often we're missing Jesus when he's right in front of us. We're missing Jesus right where we work, where we live. We're, we're looking for Jesus and we're missing him. You're going to see the story of Jesus in the production this week. But can I tell you that you might be the only Jesus that someone sees this week at work, on your campus, in your school. That Jesus is found through you. Jesus is found through the people that you encounter. Jesus is counting on you to bring him wherever you are. I was in Dominican Republic a month ago, and there was this man who was demon-possessed. And, I mean, five people were trying to hold this. This man was literally trying to lunge towards the stage. Um, if you don't believe that there's a devil and you don't believe in demons, just go to another country or go to some of the dark places in our own country, in our own world, and you'll see that there is a real hell. There's a real heaven. There's a real devil. There's a real Jesus. There's real angels. There's real demons. This man was, was dark and twisted, and you could just feel the power of, of, of the demonic forces trying to come out of this man. And we prayed for him, and all of a sudden, he just fell flat, flat on his face, and he began to weep. And he got back up and he was in his right mind. He had been completely delivered from darkness, from demonic oppression. I'm telling you, it was something out of a movie. It was like exorcist, the real thing right in front of us. And he came up on the stage and he testified. He said, I came here tonight. I didn't even know what brought me here. He said, I, I, was, 
there was something that was drawing me here and I was oppressed and I was depressed and I was possessed and he was telling the whole crowd everything and he said, but as people began to pray for me, I felt free, I felt freedom, I felt whatever it was that was binding me, it was loosed off of me. And he said, I just asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And the whole crowd went wild, they were cheering for him. People were crying, it was such a powerful moment. And after the service, he came up to me, he said, I wanna go with you, I wanna go with your team. I want to go with you guys. I, I need to be where y'all are. And I said, no, you need to be here. These people need your story. Your family needs to hear your testimony. God wants you to show Jesus to everyone around you. He said, but I want to go with y'all. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 5 when another man who was demon-possessed got set free. And this man told Jesus, I want to go where you're going. And Jesus said, I need you to go here to minister to these people. See, the heart of God wants to use every single person in their sphere of influence to share a testimony, to share a purpose, to share an example. There's people you could reach that I could never reach. There's people you could bring to Jesus that I could never bring to Jesus. God wants to use your witness as an example in your campus, in your neighborhood, with your friends, with your family members, with your relatives. Just say this with me, I have a purpose. You see, the heart of God invites all of us into a purpose that's bigger than us. The week before Easter, it's called Palm Sunday. Today would be Palm Sunday, Passover week. Thousands of people would be traveling to Jerusalem to do their religious activities. And on Palm Sunday, there was two processions that were happening on this one specific Palm Sunday. You see, every year on Palm Sunday, on Passover week, Pontius Pilate would come through the city of Jerusalem, the western gate. He would come through on his horse. He would have trumpet blowers and drummers and people throwing fire. I mean, a huge, big, like circus of a parade, him coming through this procession. It was all about power, showing how powerful the Roman Empire was, the Roman centurions, how strong they were. You bow down to us. We deserve respect. We deserve honor. We are in charge here. But on that one Sunday, there was another person that was entering through the eastern gate of Jerusalem, and that was Jesus. And in Matthew 21, Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him. He says, go and find a donkey. Go and find the foal of a donkey, the smallest of the smallest, the most humble of animals, and bring it to me. I'm going to ride on the donkey into Jerusalem. People were expecting Jesus to come. They had been hearing about this miracle man. They didn't have Bibles back then. All they had was stories and word of mouth. And so people were spreading, hey, that miracle worker, that Messiah who's been doing miracles in the Galilee area, he's coming to Jerusalem, the, the big place for religion. He's coming here. And so people were waiting. They were expecting, especially the common Jewish people, they were hoping the Messiah would overthrow the Roman Empire, that this Messiah was going to restore what David's kingdom once was. And David, the one who slayed Goliath, his kingdom ruled the land. David is the one who overthrew the Philistine army, drove out all the enemies that tried to attack the Jews. It was a strong, mighty nation. And the Jews were waiting for Jesus to come and do what David did. But Jesus wasn't coming to restore David's kingdom. Jesus was coming to bring a kingdom that invited everyone to belong to God's house, to be invited into God's salvation. Jesus wasn't coming to rip power from one ethnicity and give it to another ethnicity. He wasn't coming to elevate the Jews over the Romans. He was coming to bring the Romans, the Jews, the Greeks, the Gentiles, whatever tribe, whatever tongue you speak, into the kingdom of God. And so he comes riding in on a donkey. 
Talk about two different stark contrasting processions. One man riding on a horse with trumpets blowing, drums beating, shouting, you know, Pontius Pilate, and another man coming in on a donkey. If Jesus can use a donkey, he can use me and you. If Jesus can use a donkey to bring the gospel into Jerusalem, he can use you. He can use me. He still uses donkeys today. He'll use anyone and anything to deliver the gospel message. The heart of God is bringing everyone into this invitation. So Jesus comes riding in and people say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Jesus began to talk about the kingdom of God, what his kingdom was like, what it was all about. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke 15. Yeah, Luke 15. And as you're turning there, I want you to just think about all the things you might have heard about Jesus. You know, Jesus met a woman at the well who had been divorced five times, and she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And she's getting water at noontime when no one goes to the well. It's hot, it's sunny, and no one wants to carry the, the jug of water on their head in the hot, sunny time. But this woman wanted to avoid the crowd. She wanted to avoid the gossip mill. And so Jesus finds her there all by herself. And Jesus talks to this woman, and he says, this water is going to leave you thirsty and thirsty and thirsty. But I have living water that will cause you to never thirst again. The Bible says that that woman, after she encountered Jesus that day, she left her jar there. She had found what she was looking for. Jesus encountered people like Zacchaeus who had cheated people out of uh, their money, who had stolen from people. And he invited Zacchaeus to find forgiveness, to find hope. Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. Jesus found the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. He saw her. She was thrown right in front of him. And everywhere Jesus went, he would lift up the sinners. He would say, where are your accusers? He would call out the religious people. There was always two crowds around Jesus, the sinners and the religious people. The religious people were pushing sinners away, and yet Jesus was bringing them in. He was bringing them closer. And so he lifts the woman caught in the act of adultery, and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I, I love the heart of God because it reminds me why we do Easter why we do these productions, why we put on these events, why you and I have a purpose to bring other people into the kingdom. It's because people need to know that God loves them, that God forgives them, that God cares about them. And so in Luke 15, verse one, it says the tax collectors and the sinners of all kinds of notorious perverted sins were hanging out with Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus hangs out with imperfect people? That's good news for me. I don't know if it's good news for you that He's not just hanging out with the perfect people. He's inviting everyone who feels like they're a misfit, an outcast, who feels like they fall short, who feels like they haven't got it all together. And Jesus is sitting there with them. And in verse 2, there was another crowd that was right there watching. It was the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They began to mutter, this man welcomes sinners. And he eats with them too. I just imagine that's what they sound like. You know, just snaky. <laughs> And uh, they're just sitting there and they're gossiping and they're criticizing and look at this, Jesus. And Jesus tells a story. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lost one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? Remember, Jesus is showing us the heart of God. Everything Jesus did was to reveal God's heart for us. Every story he told, every scripture to show us what is God like? What is God's heart like? He said, doesn't the shepherd leave the 99 who are found to go after the one that's lost? And he searches an all-out search party until he finds that one 
lost sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he picks that sheep up and puts it on his shoulders and carries it back with joy to the fold. And he calls his neighbors and his friends and his relatives and says, I have found my lost sheep. Come and rejoice. Come and celebrate with me. See, God cares about who's not here yet. The heart of God is concerned not just with believers. He loves you. You called on the name of the Lord. You're saved. You've got a, you've got a spot in heaven waiting for you. But God is very concerned about who's not here yet. He's concerned about the empty chair next to you. And you say, well, who's going to fill it? Isn't it Pastor Paul's job to get people in these chairs? No, it's our job. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, Therefore, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. That wasn't the great commission for pastors. That was the great commission for believers. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. If you're not fishing, you're not following. <laughs> like God calls us to be fishers of men. To make disciples. To invite people to know Jesus. They're not just going to find Jesus through a commercial on TV or through me showing up everywhere in the city to invite them to victory. They're going to come because you went after the lost sheep. My dad, he was so um, always thinking about who wasn't there. He was always looking at the empty chair and he was thinking, we're missing somebody. Someone's not here. Someone who once was here, but they're not here. We got to find them. We got to bring them back. We got to get them back in the fold. As a kid, I remember um, just seeing the heart of God on display through my dad and my mom. They showed me what the heart of God was like. In fact, I remember when I was 12 years old, I had my first like big birthday party. And I had made a list of who was invited to my party. I had a list of 13 names. All the people in my mind that I thought were cool, that were connected with me. And I was lacking a, a real like heart of God in that moment. And uh, that night, on Friday night at my birthday party... At 7 p.m., no one had shown up. We had the Mazio's pizza. We had made chocolate chip cookies. 7.10 rolls around. Still no one's, no one's there. By 7.15, one person shows up. It was Daniel Mao, my best friend. Daniel plays guitar in our church. and He's like, where's everybody at? I said, don't worry. They're coming. They're coming. And uh, 7.30 rolls around, and it was just Daniel Mao. My brother John walks into the living room, and he goes, Loser. <laughs> He's like, nobody's coming because nobody likes you. Aren't you thankful for older brothers that make you feel awesome? No, he loved me. He goes, it's all right, Paul. I like you. I'm here. <laughs> I was like, thank you, John. And John had his friend Matthew with him. And so I remember later that night, I said, Dad, I shouldn't even have a birthday anymore. Nobody comes to my parties. And he said, no, I think you just need to make a bigger list. He said, you have such a short list. You need to invite more people. He said, Paul, we have room in our house for more than 13 people. We've got room for everyone to come. Everybody say there's more room. The heart of God is always thinking there's more room. The heart of God is always thinking we can invite more people in. Anytime you get a mindset of us for no more, you just walked away from the heart of God. Anytime you think in your mind, we've got enough. God doesn't like numbers. He's not interested in numbers. I'm not about a big church that cares about. God does care about numbers. He wrote a whole book called Numbers. He counts things. He's interested in depopulating hell and populating heaven. He's interested. Like God cares about you. When you say God doesn't care about numbers, you're saying God doesn't care about people. But God's heart beats for people. 
And you say, well, isn't God happy? 99 of us are here, Paul. But look at the empty chairs. God's saying there's people that need an invitation from you. There's people that are waiting for the body of Christ to rise up and follow the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. It's not the great option. It's the great commission. My son, Liam, he has gotten obsessed with inviting people to church, praying for people. He's got the heart of God inside of him. He's asking me all the time, Dad, can I get another stack of those Easter invite cards? We went into Mazio's the other night, and um, he took a stack in. He starts passing them out to people. He goes up to this one older man. I think he was the pastor of South Tulsa Baptist Church, has Hester. He walks up, and he invites him to victory. And then he walks over to a family. He says, you guys are invited to our Easter play. And the family goes, we go to your church. We're in the Easter play. And Liam's like, well, you're invited too, you know? And goes up to all the workers and that's the heart of God. Everyone's invited. My dad was telling me, Paul, there's more room in the house. Stop limiting how many people can fit into the party. God's throwing a party and he's looking for you and I to invite the people to come. Jesus talks about this all through the Bible, that there's a banquet that's being thrown. And the people who decide not to come, Jesus says, go everywhere and invite everyone. Go to the highways and the byways. Go and look for people and compel them to come. So I decided the next year that I was going to have more people come to the birthday party. And um, I decided I was going to invite my whole grade. My dad said, just invite your whole grade. If one out of 10 came like your last party, then you'll get at least 10 people to come. So about 30 people showed up to my birthday party. I felt so loved and I was excited. And my dad said, Paul, there's more room. Invite more people. And so I said, okay, all right. I'll invite my grade. I'll invite my brother John's grade. And the next year, about 60 people showed up. And it was amazing. I thought, this is incredible. This is as big as the party can get. This is as many people as we can reach. And my dad was like, no, there's more room. We can fit people in all the rooms, in the front yard, in the backyard. Invite more people. And so I did the following year. And my sophomore, junior year, more than 100 people came to the birthday party. My mom was overwhelmed. We, we can't feed all of these people. Paul, you have hungry friends. I can't feed them all. And my dad said, don't worry about it. We'll make a potluck dinner. Everybody bring your own food to Paul's birthday. Finally, my senior year, I got it. My dad wanted me to invite as many people as possible. He kept saying, there's more room, there's more room. So my senior year, I kid you not, I made flyers and I put them around our church building. And I snuck into the principal's office and I got on the intercom system from kindergarten through 12th grade. And I said, hey, this is Paul Doherty and you're all invited to my birthday party. And my parents' address is da 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 And I gave my parents' address to the whole school. And that night, 300 plus people showed up to my birthday party. Little kids came in floaties. They said, thanks for the invite, Paul, you know, and jumped in the pool. It was so amazing. My mom was frustrated. She was excited, but she was frustrated. She was like, why didn't you tell me you invited the whole school? I said, mom, dad said there's more room. My dad smiled. He's like, I said it, you know. <laughs> but this is the heart of God. He's always thinking about who's not here yet. I want you to watch this testimony from my friend Ty Barker, who serves as our discipleship track pastor. Him and Debbie do a great job. We just graduated more than 200 discipleship graduates from our Victory Men's and Women's Discipleship. Here at Victory. How many of you were graduates? How many of you went through the men's or women's? Would you stand up? We want to honor all the graduates in the room that just went through, finished your 12-week course at Victory Men's and Women's Discipleship Track. 
Come on, what an amazing accomplishment. I want you to see what Ty Barker did because he got the heart of God. He got that revelation that I am here to invite. I am here to bring more people into the kingdom of God. Check this out. Hey, Victory, I'm here with Pastor Ty Barker who leads our Victory Men's Discipleship class. And Ty and Debbie are always bringing people to the church, ministering to people, inviting them, witnessing. But one of the recent testimonies you shared with our staff I thought was so amazing the church had to hear. Tell them what happened and how the relationship built to inviting this person to church. Well, my wife Debbie and I, we love to go to a, a particular restaurant here in town, Fuddruckers. It's one of our favorites. And uh, uh, I go there a lot uh, on Wednesdays. And so uh, back uh, several years ago, we, we had been going to the restaurant and got to know uh, several of their staff. In fact, one of their main managers now, a guy named Andrew, uh, we really got to know him, and on several occasions, he had asked us to pray for things, and so it, we began to develop a relationship, and we'd always invited him to come to Victory, and especially with big events and things, but uh, with his work schedule, he just was never able to come, and so, but we kept developing relationship and, and kept talking and kept inviting him, and uh, back a couple of months ago, I was in on a Wednesday, and I was sitting by myself. My wife wasn't able to come that day, and uh, Andrew had a little bit of time, so he just sat down with me, and, and he goes, well, what's going on? And I said, well, preparing for service tonight. We got a great service tonight. And he just kind of sat there for a minute. He goes, you know what? I think I can come tonight. And he said, in fact, I'm gonna bring my four kids. And I said, oh, so awesome. And we were very excited that he was gonna be able to come. And so told some of our uh, children's workers, I said, hey, got a, a guy coming for the first time with four kids. And so I had told him where to come and where to bring in the kids. And uh, so they were watching for him. He actually got to come that night, brought his four kids. They got him all checked in. and. One of our, our staff members even walked him in and set him uh, with Debbie and I on, on the front row. And, and just a powerful service that night. Uh, he answered the altar call. We got to pray with him again. And it was just an awesome time. And, and he was just, he loved the church, loved the atmosphere. Uh, and so since then, he hadn't missed, uh, uh, I think, but maybe one week since then. And his wife is now coming. And so the whole family's coming, connected. It's just an awesome story. Come on. But uh, it didn't take just one invitation. It took several invitations and relationship. And that's yeah. really what helped bring him in. So. I think so many people stop after one invitation yeah. and they think, well, I did my job. But I love that you kept on inviting. You kept witnessing, kept praying. And over time, it paid off. Yeah. And it was Andrew. Andrew and Erica. Great, and Erica, great couple. And their four, four kids. And four I got to meet kids. them. Yes. We got a picture of us and them from church this last Wednesday. Their family has been impacted and changed because yeah. you never stopped inviting. Yeah. Praise God. Never stop inviting. Never stop bringing people to church. Someone is waiting on your invitation. Come on. Someone is waiting on your invitation. How many of you have stories like that in your life of people that you've just continued to invite and they came because of your continual pursuit? All of us in this room should have stories like that. Like God wants us to have our own story of who we reached, who we connected with. I can go through a list in my mind of people that God has connected me with that I've been able to bring to church. This is the heart of God. Jesus goes on to say it's not just about the, the shepherd and the sheep. He says, in the same way, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Heaven rejoices when one person, can I tell you that this next week, if only one person comes to Jesus, that all of heaven is gonna go wild because of that one guy who repents? 
And we don't do these Easter productions because Jesus died on the cross. We do these Easter productions because Jesus rose from the grave. And no matter what stuff people are walking through, that God still rolls away the stone of whatever death has gotten into their life, whatever depression, whatever darkness, the same God that rolled the stone away for Jesus, he's going to roll the stones away this week in people's lives, maybe in your life. Maybe you're looking at something that's dead. Maybe you're standing in front of a tomb over your marriage or a tomb over your mental health. Maybe you feel dead on the inside. Maybe you've lost your passion to witness, your passion to be alive, your passion to share Jesus with others. He still rolls away the stone. He still brings Lazarus back. And we do these Easter productions because Jesus rose from the grave. Like dying on the cross was amazing, but that wasn't the final scene. The final scene is that Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin. He took the keys from Satan and stripped him of his power and authority for you and for me. Have you forgotten the salvation that you've been invited to? This is the greatest party in the entire world. This is the greatest. This is not a fire festival. This is really happening. This is incredible. We have a reason to celebrate. We have a reason to invite people to victory this week to see what Jesus did for them. Come on, church. Give a big hand clap to Jesus, our resurrected King. This next week, you're going to see this story played out. You're going to see the disciples Peter, James, and John, Matthew. You're going to see Thomas. You're going to see Mary Magdalene, the woman caught in the act of adultery. You're going to see broken people in broken towns experience an incredible, perfect, loving Savior who came for them. You're going to see people that you can relate with. People like Zacchaeus who feels unworthy, ashamed of all of his past. And yet Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't just come for perfect people, but he comes for imperfect people. He comes for people who don't have it all together in the eyes of the religious people. Jesus said, here's what the heart of God is like. It's like a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one. And, and doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house until she finds that lost coin? She's going to go all out looking for that lost coin. Imagine if you lost a check that was written out to you for a million dollars. Imagine someone handed you a million dollar check and you lost it. How many would do everything you can to find that check? Half of you in the room. I'm going to go look for it for you and I'm going to get a percentage of it for the church. If you aren't looking for it, I'm looking for it. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like when one person wanders and you go, well, Paul, doesn't God care about the 99 of us that are here? Shouldn't God be concerned with entertaining us in our church services? and making sure that everything's perfectly fit for us religious people who've already been saved. No, he loves you. You called on the name of the Lord, you got saved, but now he's concerned about who's not here yet. God, God will always love you. He loved you when you were lost, he loves you when you're found. But Jesus was showing us the heart of God here, that when people are found, they've already repented, they've gotten right with God, their purpose is no longer to be entertained and sit in a pew and just listen to sermons and critique everything the church does. I am not here to be a consumer. I am here to be a contributor. I am here to reach people for Jesus. You that are saved, you've been rescued to rescue. You've been delivered to deliver. You've been saved to go save other people. 
And Jesus says the woman will do everything she can to find that lost one. And when she finds it, she'll call her neighbors. She'll do a whole big recap video to show what happened, who got saved. And they'll rejoice with her. And in the same way, the heaven, the angels in heaven will rejoice over one sinner who repents. This is the heart of God, that God gets excited about lost people coming back home. I want to invite my friends Jeremy and Tara up here. They serve in the church, and they had an incredible encounter of witnessing to some people outside of the four walls of the church. That's the best place to witness is outside the church. And uh, I want you to tell them what happened, Jeremy and Tara. Yeah, you know, I was delivered from drugs and alcohol, so I, as I have freely received, I now freely give, and that's why we do what we do. We're very strategic in what we do with our lives and everything, even to where we go to lunch. Um, we go to McAllister's almost every single day, not because I like it, but because it's my mission field, and there are people there that need to know Jesus. And, you know, over time, we have led one by one to Christ and invited to victory and one in particular stands out in my mind and you know she was taking our order we're at the counter there are people walking in the managers are standing right there listening and you know I think sometimes thoughts come to your mind that it's inconvenient to share right now or it's not the right time or they're not ready to receive Jesus all of these things going through your mind but you know I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of what he's done in my life I can't not share what he's done. And so when I see someone that needs to know Jesus, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I don't care where I'm at or what's going on. And so I stopped in the middle of our order and I said, you know, I just really feel like I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you and that you have a purpose for your life. And you know, God forbid, but if today were your last day on earth, do you know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'd go to heaven? And she said, you know, I don't know. And I said, well, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it also says that whoever, doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, whoever calls on him will be saved. Do you want to call on him right now? And she said, yes. So I reached my hand over and I held her hand with the manager standing there watching people still walking in and she prayed this prayer of salvation. And at the end of it, she starts crying. And she says, you don't understand. Just last night, I was crying out, God, are you real? Do I have a purpose for my life? And here you are coming in and telling me here right now. And so the thoughts that I was having, the reservations with the manager standing there and the people walking in, it was on purpose. They got to see that the prayer that she was praying last night is the prayer that was being answered right then and there. You know, in the very last prayer that Jesus prayed for you and I, it says, I don't only pray just for you guys, but I also pray for those that are on the other side of your obedience and your message. He said, I'm praying for those that are going to believe through your message. And every single one of you have somebody on the other side of your obedience, on the other side of your uncomfortability of stepping out. There are people waiting to hear from you. Amen. Amen. Powerful. Praise God. You know, just like Tara mentioned with that, with that girl, she was crying out. You know people are crying out every day? They're crying out every single night 
There's people that you know, that I know, that pray that prayer before they go to sleep. As Tara mentioned, we were addicted to drugs and alcohol before we came to Christ. I prayed that prayer. I said, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. You know what he did? And he used a person to do it. Every single day we have those opportunities. Why do these opportunities happen? It's because we're asking God for these opportunities. And if you ask, you will receive, Jesus said. And you'll be sensitive and you'll be open and you'll be in front of people. And the Holy Spirit will say, there they are, right there. Lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They're white under harvest. And so one day I was on my way home. It was late at night. And this is just recently. And I needed gas. And I was going to go to Quick Trip, but I felt like I should go to Costco. So I'm on my way home. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pass Quick Trip, go to Costco. So I get to Costco, and they're closed. And I'm thinking, why am I here? Why am I at Costco? It's 9, you know, they close a little early. So I'm driving through the parking lot, looking to see if the gas station still open. And there's a guy walking through the parking lot. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit lifts, just speaks inside of me. Get that man saved. And so it happens. Now, opportunities happen every day. Some of them we know personally. Some of them we don't know. More oftentimes, it's people we know, friends, neighbors, coworkers, opportunities every day around us. This person I happen not to know, but God knew him. God knew the prayers he was praying. God knew what he was crying out for at night. And so I drive up to him and I said, are you guys closed? And he said, yeah, we're closed. And I was like, man, I needed some gas. And, um, and I said, you know, this may sound like a funny question, but I was driving to the parking lot and I felt like God wanted me to come over here and tell you that he loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. Anybody ever told you that? And he just, he just put his head down and kind of smiled. And he was like, not in a couple months. And I was like, I was thinking, okay, well, maybe he's saved. Maybe he's a Christian. But come to find out, people have been witnessing to him, and he has never responded. And so here comes another opportunity. So either he's praying or someone's praying for him. And so I said, listen. I said, God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. And I shared the same scripture as Tara did. And I said, if tonight was your last night, you know for sure you go to heaven. He says, no. And I said, well, I prayed a prayer when I was 17 years old. I said, Jesus, come into my life and save me, just like the scripture said. And he changed my life, filled me with purpose. I was like, God wants to do that for you. You want to pray that prayer with me? He said, yes. And so I said, grab my hand. And so he grabbed my hand. He prays right there, gets saved. I get to invite him to church, give him a card, come to the service. And so just like Pastor Paul shared, that's the heart of God is to reach people. And every day, and especially this week, we'll have so many opportunities to invite him to this house, invite him to Easter to get saved. Come on, I love it. Give them a big hand. The heart of God is concerned about people. His heart beats for people. The last story in Luke 15 is the story of two sons. And in this story, we see two sons. One younger son who wants his father to die. He said, Dad, I, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, can you just give me the inheritance that's coming to me when you die? And the dad gave it to him. Jesus tells this story. The dad gave the son what he wanted. The son took all the money that was coming to him and he squandered it on prostitutes and bad, wicked living, perversion. And after he had spent everything he had on all the wickedness, there was a severe famine in the land. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. And he was starving and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating from but no one gave him any food. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will go back to my father and say to him, dad, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So just make me one of your hired slaves. And he went up and he went to his father. There's people who are coming to see if the porch light is still on at Victory 
to see if they're going to be welcomed back with open arms or with a clenched fist. This last week, I went to my son's Daddy Day event at school. It was, it was Daddy Day in kindergarten. And it was so amazing because I was out in the hallway and I was watching these fathers. I think we have a picture of these fathers that had lined up the hallway. These fathers had lined up the hallway waiting for their kids, waiting to go inside. And one of the kids found out his dad had showed up to Daddy Day. He ran outside and just buried his head in his dad's lap there. Wouldn't let go. Kids don't need perfect parents. They just need a father to show up. They just need someone to show up. And man, I, I just wept because I thought that's the heart of God. He shows up. He loves us when we least deserve it. He shows up when we feel like we're a mess, that we're not welcome in. The son went back home and he was wondering if his dad would accept him. I remember hearing this story about this boy who grew up in a pastor's home. And as he got older, he ran away from his parents' house. And he, this was in Southeast Asia. He moved to Bangkok and he got into really bad stuff, sex trafficking, all kinds of bad things, crimes, ended up in prison for a few years. Word had traveled back home to his parents and to the church members that went to his dad's church. They blamed the father for not being a good parent. They blamed him for all kinds of things for the reason why his son turned out the way he did. And the son had gotten out of prison and he thought to himself, I can't live here anymore. I've, I've got to go back home, but I don't know if I'm welcome back home because I've messed up my parents' last name and probably shrunk the church because of my bad things that I've done and people not trusting my father. He wrote a letter back to his father. He said, I'll be riding on a train that goes through our village. If you'll allow me to come back home, I'll serve as a volunteer. I'll be a part of the church. I promise I'll never get into sin again. I'll never go back to the way that I used to be. But I would understand, Dad, if you don't want me to come back home. I know I've been an embarrassment to you and Mom. Wrote a letter. He said, if you want me back, as the train pulls through the village and stops, there's a tree outside of the, the, the railroad station. Just tie a red ribbon to that tree, and I'll know to get off or to stay on and keep going to the next village. True story. The son was riding on the train back home, and he couldn't bear to look out the window. He thought, I don't want to see it. I... I know it's not going to be there. The red ribbon won't be there. My dad's so ashamed of me. I've messed up too much. I've done too many bad things for him to welcome me back home. So he told the passenger next to him, will you look out the window for me? And if you see a red ribbon tied to that tree, will you let me know? And if you don't, just let me know. I'm going to stay right here. I don't want to look out. The passenger said, you need to look. He said, no, no. The passenger said, no, no, you need to look out the window right now. And the boy looked out the window, this young man, and the tree was covered in red ribbons. And his dad was standing there waiting for him with open arms. That's the heart of God. God loves you. God forgives you. The kingdom of God is not for perfect people that have done everything right, never messed up. It's for people like Jeremy and Tara. You know, Jeremy and Tara, as they were sharing their testimony up here, I was thinking someone visited them in jail when Jeremy got caught for dealing. Jeremy was a seller of drugs and someone visited him. God cares about every single person. God cares about the people in the church, but he also cares about who's not here yet, who's missing. And he wants you to come home. And I love the story in the prodigal son that as the son was afar away from his father's house, 
In Luke 15, the son was walking back home and the father saw him in a distance. The Bible says the father ran towards his son. He went running towards his son and he embraced his son and he hugged his son and he kissed his son and his son starts repenting. He says, dad, I'm sorry. I know I blew it. I know I messed up. I'm sorry for what I've done. And the father says, put the perfect robe on my son and the best ring on my son's finger and kill the fatted calf for my son who was dead is now alive. The son who was lost is now found. The son couldn't even get out his sob speech before the father was just hugging him and celebrating him. But there was another son. The party had started. The celebration was going on. Everyone was there. It was loud. Verse 25 of Luke 15, it says the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. I mean, a big fiasco, a huge production. Singing and dancing in a big old stage. What are these people doing here? Why are we celebrating these lost sinners? Why are we putting on these productions? These don't impress us religious people. It's not for the religious people. It's not for, it's not for the church. It's for the unchurched. It's for the de-churched. It's for those who fell out of the church. It's for those who need to know there's a God who loves them. And when we come into the party, we're not coming to critique. We're coming with all of our lost friends saying there's a seat for you. There's a buffet for you. They killed the fatted calf. They were having steak that night. It was mahogany's at the father's house. And the older son is angry. He calls one of the servants. He says, what in the world is going on in my dad's house? What is happening in my father's house? And the servant said, your dad is celebrating because your lost brother, the one who squandered your father's wealth, he's come back home and your dad killed the fattened calf and he's back safe and sound and they're having a huge party, a big celebration. Everyone's invited, you too. And the brother refused to come in. And his father went outside begging him, please come in, you're invited to this. You're invited to be a part of this. And the older brother refused. He says, look, all of these years, dad, I've been slaving for you. This is the language of religion. It's all about slavery, rules. I've followed all of the rules. There's no relationship. Religion distances us from the father, from intimacy, from compassion, from love, from forgiveness, from accepting the sinners. The older brother said, I've been slaving for you, dad. I've been at church every single week. You don't do anything for me. It's all geared towards the lost. What about me? Me. You haven't even given me a goat. Why is he talking about goats when there's filet mignons in the house? Who wants a goat when you can eat a nice big steak? I want the steak. But religion settles for goats. It's obsessed with goats when there's steaks inside the house. I need points for all my religious activity. You better remember what I did for you. And the father's going, hold up, don't you understand? <laughs> and the brother says, this son of yours, my brother, he's a fool. He squandered your property with prostitutes. He comes home and you throw a party for him? Come on, dad. And the dad says this, you are always with me. You always will be. Everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. Why are you thinking about goats? Everything I have is yours. And then he says, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours, he was dead and now he's alive again. 
He was lost and now he's found. That's the heart of God. All of us are invited. I want you to watch one last testimony. It's from someone who was invited, someone who had messed up big, someone that Ashley and I had even invited. And when we invited her, we didn't know she had been invited by other people in the church. She was working at a restaurant. She felt like God didn't have a purpose for her, that her best days were behind her. But I want you to see what happened, her story of how the invitation changed her life. The heart of God got a hold of her heart. Check this out. My name is Cricket Marion. I am from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was born and raised here. I have three kids, all boys. I came to Victory for the first time for an Easter service, and it blew me away. I couldn't believe the production, the amount of work that was going into this, how realistic it was. And watching Easter service, watching that play, and seeing it with my own eyes, really showed me the story of what is happening in the Bible. That at times when you read it, they're just words, and you want to imagine what it must have looked like. A lot of people played a very pivotal role in my outcome at Victory, starting from the friend who invited me and never let up because she saw more for me and in me than I saw for and in myself. The person who held the door open and told me hello for the first time and made me feel like I was welcome in this church. The people who checked my kids in for their children's classes and the leaders of the kids' ministry. The people who I see on the street from here and remember me when they see me out for the first time after they encountered hundreds or thousands of people walking in and out of these doors for something as massive as an Easter production service. The volunteers who help me figure out where I'm supposed to sit or how I can find the room that I'm supposed to be in. These people who were just so welcoming and so loving and they want you to know that you really do belong here because you really do. And none of those people have left my side since I started coming here. They seem so into my journey with me. It's so personal to them. And it makes me wonder what they're seeing that I'm missing. And I press in even more. Church, we are a family. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise. You can be rich in the kingdom of heaven by leading more people to Christ, bringing more people with you into the kingdom of God. There's a party happening. There's people like Cricket that are waiting for you to invite them. People like the, the young man that Ty invited, that Jeremy invited, that Tara invited. People like, you know, every single one of us in this room, we've been invited to invite. There's people that are waiting for it. And I want you to take as many cards, invite cards, because they won't matter after next week. We got to get them out. We, gotta, we don't want to have stacks of invite cards in the basement after next week. We want you to pass them out. And listen, so many people, they're going to come to Christ through your invitation. They're going to come to Jesus because you reached out to them. The Father's heart beats for people, people.